You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, my gente? It's your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders Podcast. And today, we have an awesome guest. Homie writes comics and manga. He's also apparently a sneakerhead. He is the writer of this dope notebook that's out now called The Black Man's Guide to Getting Pulled Over. Let me tell you, I read it. And then I feel it and being pulled over less than a month and a half ago. <laughs> I followed all those rules instinctively. Very crazy. Let me introduce the one, the only, the future star legend, Johnny Parker II. Where are you doing, kid? What's up? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, fam. No, no, no. Thank you for coming through to talk about this amazing book. You know your journey, also, and you know getting into the community and, and building this this success story here. You will, because you know <laughs> you ran a couple of things and you're building upon, and I think people really want to feel this book. Uh, what, what awesome book! So let's get into it, because Comic Crusaders loves a fantastic origin story. So what's yours, brother? Like where you come from, where you grew up at, and you know what was that uh, first love in fandom, and who and who presented to you? Was it mommy, daddy, siblings, cousins? No. For sure, for sure. So uh, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan, born and raised. Uh, and the thing about was like, I've always been like been a fan of like, you know, like Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that. But when it came to like my love of comics, low key, it kind of started a couple different places. Like my pops had like a shoebox in the basement and I used to go through there and like read them sometimes and had like old school comics. Like I'm talking about old, old, old from like the 1940s, 50s, like Superman. Oh, wow. Back with like the Lois Lanes and all those stories went out, which I liked a lot. He and even you had, were touching uh, them. Did he, know you, did he know you were touching them though? He did. But again, it was in a shoebox. Okay. He didn't even care about it. They were just down there. Right. He wow. even legit had the, um, what's called the uh, Secret Wars number eight, where Spider Man gets the black costume. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. So, again, some old school books on there. So, I used to read those. But, legit, though, the place where like comics kind of like fell in love with it at was because of the, remember the 90s, the Spider Man animated show on Fox Kids. Of course, of course. Yeah. So, I used to watch that because then I used to fell in love with, like Peter Parker, fell in love with Spider Man. I was like, yo, this is dope. So, I went to an old school like comic bike shop, legit. It was a bike shop in my neighborhood in Detroit. They also haven't sold like comics because you know it's one of those bike shops we sell comics, Katie, everything under the sun. We yeah. just try to keep the red lights on. <laughs> um, so I go over there and I find this like little pocket-sized edition of like Spider-Man that tells like you know his origin from issues like one through like 16, oh, pocket-sized cool. edition. And I read that thing till I fell apart. Read it till I fell apart. And I was like, dude, like what is the comics are fucking dope. So then after that, I was just like reading nonstop, reading this, reading that. Um, but I didn't actually know I could be a creator and even consider it until I read some books by a man by the name of uh, Dwayne McDuffie. Ah, I started yes. reading like Static, Blood Syndicate, all the Milestone yes, stuff. And legit, I remember reading like Blood Syndicate. And there's a point in there where someone mentions like Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was like, I know that place. That's near me. Oh, wait, for real? <laughs> and that's when I found about Dwayne and his background. I was like, oh, shit, I think I can do this, too. And so that's kind of like what got me into comics. And ever since then, I knew I wanted to write and create some of my own stories, just kind of like Dwayne had done, and that set the path forward for me. No, uh, Dwayne McDuffie, R.I.P. What what he missed, missed uh, creator, is definitely so talented. And you know, not just in comics, but I mean, you know, the cartoon, you know, JLA cartoon. Come on now, dude, Justice uh, League Unlimited, like literally, <laughs> like, dude made Justice League what it is now. We wouldn't have it like this level if it wasn't for him. Yeah, yo, I mean, Dwayne was a beast and so unfortunate, you know, what happened. But, of course, you know, every year we celebrate his life with the Dwayne McDuffie Awards. So, mm-hmm. I mean, 
that's it's great stuff that his uh his widow keeps that legacy alive and that milestone is, is back kiddo so good stuff you know I'm, I'm glad so now it needs to have its animated universe start coming out like they promised and let's get it done <laughs> no, no, exactly exactly like we need like we get all these other live action movies like i need my live action static shock uh film i need yeah, that like, happen asap yeah even that icon would be fucking super dope you know dude all of them yeah it's, it's like blood syndicate a gang that gets like yeah. or anything like that like dude like there's like so many it writes itself there. the movie right it's already a storyboard get it done all right, exactly. but enough about milestone because you're the ones going to be hitting some milestones. So, <laughs> talking about hitting those milestones, you know, when was really that creative spark? When did that milestone come in your head? So, read Dwayne, I realized okay, I want to be a comic book writer, but but it was always uh, sure exactly what type of stories I want to write. So, over the years, you know, I'm reading comics and whatnot, but also discovered a love for like anime and manga. And so, I think about this though, because a little cartoon called Dragon Ball Z, like, I used to watch it like every Sunday morning in Detroit religiously watching all the time watching that original like you know um vegeta saga the same saga and everything like that and that's why i love for like anime and manga in me so i started reading those stories as well so from ronan kenshin to naruto to one piece like all that stuff and so i'm reading all these different things and then like later on like you know after i graduated college went to university of michigan again i know i want to write but i don't know exactly how to do it but i know where i need to be at so i move out to la so i move out to la i start going to this comic book shop called the comic book here in um la Super dope shop, highly recommended. If anybody goes by there, amazing people at the comic book. Shout and out, they, shout out, and they do these creator meetups sometimes. So they used to do this thing called 24 hour comic day, where people will show up, you know, make a comic book in 24 hours. And so, again, I want to make stories about Ooh. I don't know how. So I go there and I'm sitting there and I meet this artist, and I'm like, uh, yo, what's going on? What you working on? And we start talking, everything like that. That's and then, like, later on, we start cracking jokes about stuff. And I was like, yo, what if the Hulk was black? Like, if he was black, his name would be Black This. And he'd be like, I don't get me until I get my green. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then um, we'll be like, well, Rick Jones would be Mexican. And that would be hilarious. Oh, and so God. from there, I was like, I'm like, yeah, we'll be called probably like Black Fist and Brown Hand. And, yeah. you know, we're just cracking all these jokes and everything like that. And the dude at the time was like, yo, if you write that, I will draw it. And I was like, done. Two days later, <laughs> I gave him a script. And like I made my first comic book, Black Fist of Brown wow. Man, a Black and Brown Exploitation Comedy. Um, super funny stuff available on my website if anybody wants to check it out. Super hilarious. And then after that, it just kind of kept rolling. And I kind of realized there that my voice is like being influenced by these different things. But what always comes back to is like diverse storytelling. Like I yeah. love featuring stories of black and brown folks and people of other colors. And I like stories that kind of like real to us and talk about the stuff that we go through. So even Black vs. Brown Hand, it's a comedy, but it's a comedy where we make fun of stereotypes. And I'll touch on different issues right there, from racism to classism to, like, food deserts in the hood to, like, you know, um, immigration issues and things like that. And so that's what I try to do is that, like, I kind of realize that, like, my storytelling is all about, like, diversity and inclusion, but not just, like, corporate mandate stuff. It's about, like, telling the stories that come from our people, that come from the people, like, you know, the streets or whatnot, and trying to represent and what them. you're familiar with, you exactly. know, like your surroundings. Exactly. Like, I want people, like, to see themselves reflect in the book. Like, I'm a teacher as well. I teach in South LA. And so, think about this, when my students read my books, I want them to be able to relate to it. I want them to see, like, oh, that looks like me. I relate to that. This person lives in a neighborhood like mine. Like, not everybody, sadly enough, lives in Queens and lives in, like, a nice house and everything like that, like Peter Parker did. Like, we yeah. got, I got a lot of my students, like, live in South L.A. and everything. They, like, go through struggles. And so in my books, I kind of want to tell the struggles and put that on the world to make people more realize, like, what's going on. Uh, you, you do an excellent job. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Trying, trying, trying. So, you know, how, how, all right, so 
talk about then having that first project. How excited were you to have it born? And was there a learning curve? Because you sound like you just dove in. I knew how to do it from the get. Or <laughs> was, so was it something that you had to learn? Was there a learning curve? How did your artists feel? How, did, how was that relationship like? You know, because again, this is your first project. For sure. So when it came to writing a script, uh, I actually went online and I started reading like different scripts by different people. I hate to say the man's name, but Chuck Dixon was one of my favorite writers <laughs> growing up. That Nightwing run, that Robin run at the point where he's pretty much writing most of the bad verse, got the yeah. books setting in a very clean way. Oh, he's phenomenal. Yeah. Sadly enough, Chuck Dixon has kind of come out kind of problematic as of late, but save that for a different <laughs> podcast. Um <laughs> The thing about Uzo is that he gave great advice on how to approach comic book writing. Like he gave this whole cool formula where he's like, if you have a 24 page book, he's like, you dedicate 18 pages to the story you're telling. You dedicate another four pages to the story that's coming up and you dedicate a two pages to the story that comes after that. So you're constantly mm. setting things up and keeping the reader anticipating. And I was like, damn, Chuck, Oof. you might be racist, but you're a good writer though. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so that just kind of like gave me like the influence right there and looking at those scripts. And then again, reading a bunch of like different, um, and it was always cool too, is like a lot of comic books, like fables, some other things, they used to do this thing where some of the trades, they would put the scripts in the back. And so yeah. you can look at those scripts and kind of learn oh, from yes. that. So looking online and looking at those, that's why I learned how to like write and format a script. Nice. And then after that, it was just like kind of trial and error. Like before I wrote uh, Black as a Brown Hand, I wrote this cool story called Shadow 17. I still intend to make it one day. I wrote it for this comics anthology. I turned it into them. I got rejected. I was like, dang, all right, it's mm. all right. Then I actually wrote Black as a Brown Hand for the next anthology, turned it in, and got turned down again. I was like, for real? I was like, but man, this okay. is good, though. Like, legit. Like, this is in my own ego. I'm like, this is funny. Like, I like this. I'm laughing at this. The artist thought so, too. So at that point... It's one of those things I feel like every creator needs to do. At some point, you just need to say, man, fuck it. I'll just do it myself. And so yeah. at that point, we just kind of like, you know, to the, I'm sorry, we can cuss on it, right? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Don't tell okay. me. It's an adult show. <laughs> and so pretty much what we did at that point was the artist drew it. Um, we went ahead and like published the book through Kablam at the time, sent it off to them, got the book back, and it was like, it was fire. It was dope. We ordered like about 50 copies of it and we did a sign to get the comic book. Um, the owner of the, sh the shop at the time, this dude named Mike Wellman, like hooked us up, was like, yo, come through. And in that first signing, we sold out. Wow. And it was like, nice. oh, this is this is dope. This is a thing. And so after selling out, it was like, you know what? Let's 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 keep doing this. So at that point, like we looked at the book and it was in black and white. We decided to color it, um, change the logo, you know, make it a little more professional. That was just kind of things yeah. we were like learning as we went along. Like I remember when we first did the original logo for it, it said blackfoot and brown hand. Blackfoot is in black and brown hand was in brown. And we thought, oh, this is dope. But the problem was though is that this is where a friend of ours helped us out. And like this is where you need that community aspect of you. <laughs> okay. This was dope about going to like your comic book shops because like everyone there like is a fan of comics and someone like has different experiences. So we met a graphic designer who told us like this is cool, but this is bad marketing. Black and brown as your title doesn't stand out to people, so like it's hard for them to see. So we yeah. switched the color scheme, we made it green and yellow, kind of okay. like Power Man and Iron Fist, paying homage to them. And yeah. all of a sudden the title stands out. We learned we learned the lesson about how to format things better. We color the book, we go and fix the lettering, and we like take some um look some notes on that and everything like that. And so then we put the next so then we put the book out again in color and everything like that, and we start going to shows and people are buying the book and they're resonating with it. Excellent. So, so it was a dope experience. And so so, wait a minute, um, so you're going to the shows with your own booth? Yep. So we applied for Artist Alley, nice. and I believe the first show we did, because at that 
at first I was just doing signings. So I did signings at the comic book. I did signing at Meltdown Comics here in LA, rest in peace, an amazing comic shop, um, and some other places. Um, but then the first show we did where we presented the book out to the public, I believe was WonderCon. So WonderCon oh, wow. was our okay. so WonderCon was our first table. We applied, we got in, cool. went there, sold the book. And what's kind of dope is that the book was short. It was like just a single issue, 20, 22 pages. But what's dope is people would buy the book and then like, you know, we buy it on a Friday and would be dope is people would come back on Saturday and be like, yo, I read it and that shit was hilarious. And I was like, oh, hey, dope, thank you. Nice. It's a vibe. And like, you know, sometimes you just need that for your own confidence as a creator. And so after that, I was like, okay, you know what? Let's keep this Black person Brown Hand thing going. So we did Black person Brown Hand 2, uh, Secret of the Horchata, <laughs> which is a dope <laughs> book. And, uh, the, and the premise of the book is the yeah. corporations come out a new flavor of chata. They think we'll finally bring the race together. It's called Great Porchata. But the villain this issue, <laughs> named Carl McJack, doesn't want to come out. Um, so he's trying to stop it from coming out. And it's like this whole thing, like classic riff from like Popeye and stuff like this. But it's the funny, book's funny. all about like food deserts and like the bad food that we put into the hood and everything. Yeah, so we but you like Horchata? How you find out about Horchata? Oh, I live in LA, sir. I live in LA. Hey. What are you talking about? <laughs> I live in a black and brown building. Like, come on, like Horchata hey, that's the real business. I eat pizzas. Hey, every day. Ooh, when pupusas slamming, son. Oh my god, people exactly. look it up. You don't know what you're missing. <laughs> no, pupusas are fire. Get some if you ain't got some. Dope as hell. Um, and so like I'm putting out the books and everything like that. But the problem that I'm running into is that with Black with a Brown Hand, I go to publishers with it. I'm like, yo, how check out this book? I'm doing this. Do y'all want to publish it? And they kept saying, Sally, no. It was just honestly wow. just too controversial for them. It was in that, you know, adult swim type of humor, things they would do like in the boondocks, like, you know, series and everything like that. And while we didn't have like, any customers <laughs> or anything like that, they just felt really uncomfortable about the way we like kind of like, address like stereotypes and the way we were like telling the story. And so because of that, like, you know, we had to kind of like pull back and I did anyway. I'd be like, all right, so if I can't get published with this book, what else can I do? And so that's when I started like looking at other like different forms of storytelling and started working on other things. So going back to my anime and manga roots, I actually put out this book that's over here called Broken. It's okay. um it's inspired by my love of anime and video games. It tells the story of this video game princess Aaron, who's lost every single battle she's been in until she meets this new player named Patrick, and then they make a pinky promise to go out and be the very best in the world. So okay. <laughs> I do that book, and what I was dope is when I did at the time, I made this like five years ago. I wanted to make an anime or manga that had a bunch of people of color in it. So I, I didn't want to be like, you looked at this and it was like, oh, okay, these are just like all like light skinned folks type deal. These are all white folks. It's like, no, like I want to put in like black people, brown people, Asian yeah. people, like Japanese heritage and have them all collaborate together. Because when I think about anime or manga, those are all the people who are reading. It's a diverse community. If anybody oh, ever has mentioned like anime expo or anything like that, you go there. It's like it's a rainbow coalition of people who are all together who celebrate the love for this thing. So right. I'm like, the stories themselves need to reflect that as well. So I'm broken. I'm putting in all these different races of people who are all together. And when I put that book out, I found success. I thought it was dope. Wow. Like people liked it. It sold out. Um, and then I actually used that book to get the Comic Con table there for the first time. Hey, that was that for you. Was that your first Comic Con period? Yeah, so yeah, so that was, I take broken. I put it out there. I submit that to Small Press for um, San Diego. And for anybody who doesn't know, in order to get the Small Press, you have to have a book, and the book has to be current to that year. So if you're trying to apply for Small Press 2023, you'd have a book that's current for Small Press 2022. So I put out broken. I send them a sample. They read it. They like it. They're like, "Yo, come through." Um, you know, I pay the table fees and I go to Comic Con for the very first time, and wow. it was an amazing, exhausting experience. <laughs> what um, year was that? 
I believe it was 2017. Okay. That was my first time tabling there. And it was dope because, you know, I'm a small press. I actually requested to be by the Charlie Brown booth. I'm not sure if you know where that's at, the Peanuts booth, because I'm a big fan of Charles Schultz, and I okay. kind of know that's like in the middle of the show. So I requested to be kind of put near there, and they do. They put me there, and mm-hmm. I do well. Like, it was a really dope show. Like, people come through. They, I'm selling, still selling Black Fist and Brown Hand. People are loving that book. They're buying Broken, and they're, like, loving the stories that I'm telling. And it was a vibe, and it was really cool, and it was really encouraging. I will <laughs> say, though, that anybody who hasn't ever done it before, if you're thinking about doing it, tabling at Comic-Con is a job. <laughs> Like it's five days of you were there behind the table, consistently selling your book, pitching it, talking to people from 10 in the morning to like seven and you're exhausted. But it's also like really what about the after parties? Because when you're there, other people start asking you, and what are you doing? (laughs) It's true. true. So So it goes actually beyond that, you know, in a person on your level of of, of creation, you know, because now you got a politic about your book to other people to hopefully spread for the word, you know, within the community itself. Exactly. So at this point, I was going out to the because that's kind of the rumor they put out there. They're like, well, if you want to make you got to go to the parties, you got to go to the boom party, which is usually at the Hilton Hotel on Thursday night. Then you might hit up, like, you know, the Hyatt bar where everybody goes to drink afterwards and everything like that. Yeah, and so I was doing that. And what's cool is, though, is as I was doing this, I was like, kind of like you said, like steadily building my tribe. I was meeting new people, other writers, other artists. People were trying to put their books out there. And it was kind of cool because it's kind of like we came a collective of people who like support each other. And so this is why I made some of like my close friends I have in uh, comics. One homie of mine, his name is James Wright. He does his book called Nutmeg, and um, he actually works in video okay, games. Yeah, Nutmeg, yes. yeah, super dope book put out by Action Lab and whatnot. Yes, I met my good friend Nick Marino. He's a uh, he's an awesome creator. He did this book called Holy Fuck. Um, yeah, uh, Nick, also Action Lab. Yep. Yep, really good book. Um, his wife Rosie Marks, his partner, she's a comics journalist as well as comic creator as well. And so I get to meet like all these dope people. My circle is building more and more and more, wow. and it's just dope because we're all kind of like in it together. It's like as we go about, it's like giving each other advice. When I need a question to run about like going and pitching to somebody or doing something, I'm able to call Nick on the phone, and get his advice really quickly. James, I might send him a script like, "Yo, can you read this over for me?" So it's really important. My advice to be to anybody out there is that. You got to build up your community. You got to have that tribe around you, people who got your back, because they're going to help you get to that next level. And so I do Comic-Con. You know, it was a really dope experience. Um, but actually, the thing that kind of helps me out the most is um, doing out-of-state shows. So okay. once I get a few books under my belt, I got Life is a Brown Hand, I got Broken. I signed up to do this book show called Rose City Comic-Con over in Portland. I actually just did it um, this year, but I actually just got back from there lab this past weekend. Okay. Um, and when I go to Rose City Comic Con, the dope thing about getting out of state shows is that creators are a little bit more relaxed and editors are a little bit more relaxed. When you're in San Diego, every person's coming to an editor is pretty much asking them for a job. It's like, yo, can you look at my book? Can you look at this? Here's my pitch pack and here's this. And yep. they get that all day, every day, no matter where they go. They can go to the bar that night. People are yeah. still trying to pitch them. So honestly, their, their doors are closed. Like, they they heard everything. They're not really trying to do that. They're there for, like, preset meetings. Maybe talk to this person here or there. Yeah. But they have their own agenda. But when you're doing out-of-state shows and you run to people there, that's when people are a little bit more relaxed. They're like, oh, let me get to know you as a person. We talk to you. So yeah. I actually went to uh, Rose City Comic Con. It was dope as the comics community there is totally different in Portland because for people who don't know, that's where Image is based. That's where Oni is based. That's where Dark Horse is based. And so yeah. going there, you're going to run to like a lot of people who work in the comic industry just within the city itself. And so when I went there, that's where like going to an after party like kind of helped change my life. I went to an after party there uh, for Oni at the time. I'm actually hanging out in the Oni offices, which kind of blew my mind. I'm okay. like, there's, oh, cool. there's blah, blah, blah. Oh, shit. This is where the book is made. 
And, you know, we're hanging out, talking or whatnot. And I nice. meet an editor and we're like just like talking, joking, hanging out or whatever. And then later on that night, the editor's like, yo, so what the fuck do you make? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and um, I tell her about my stuff. I tell her about Broken. She's like, yo, I want to edit that. I'm like, for real? Oh, dope. And so Broken was below key. Like if things had gone through, it might have got picked up by Oni. But wow. sadly enough, the editor at that time... um ended up leaving the company like six months later or whatever because some stuff uh, happened drama or whatever and it sucked but what's cool though is though that editor is still at the home of mine to this day so later on i stay in touch with that editor and everything like that i'm going to do my thing and then um i'm actually getting ready to do uh comic-con coming up another time and for the following i believe it's 2018 and as it rolls up i actually went out and bought um i actually went out and bought a new car Okay. So I went out and bought like one of my first, like my first newish car and everything like that. And I, was really yeah. <laughs> and I was excited, like, oh, this is dope. I got a whip. This is gonna be cool. And okay. I just remember, like, in that first month, I got pulled over like eight different times. Just having Damn. this car. Like the night I bought the car home, like, I what went, car you got? It's not a even Bentley? that good of a car. A it was a, it was a, it was a Ford five hundred. It was a Ford five hundred. A Ford five hundred. They legit discontinued the car. Like legit, they never, they made it for three years and stopped making it. <laughs> this kept getting me pulled over. They were like, "Eh, you still can't afford it. Mm, pull over." Wow. Um, and so I got pulled over like eight times our first two months, and it was just like, it was just, I was just angry, dude. Like I legit, honestly, I was angry. I was frustrated because I just kept getting pulled over the same thing. You know. My whole life, I experienced like you know driving while black, you know DWB. It happens, but it happened happened so frequently. I was just like, wow, this is this is a bullshit. This is fucked up, and something needs to be done about this. So I remember I just sat down and I was just like really upset, and I just like was like I need to tell a story about this. I need to like just write this down and get it out. I need to let this shit out right now. <laughs> exactly. So I sat down and started writing. The black man's got to get him pulled over. And when I first did it, it was honestly kind of like a form of therapy in a way. You mean this like, book? That book right there, that book right there. Yep, that awesome um, book right there. That awesome book right there. Available now for microcosm. <laughs> uh, but what I ended up doing is like I write the book and I put it out. At the time, I had like met some people who did zines, and I was like, you know what, let me just do this as a zine. So I actually hit this artist up um, on DeviantArt. Her name's Aisha Uden, super dope person. She's actually in Australia and everything like that. I hit her up, I was like, yeah. yo. Uh, would you mind? I see your commissions are open. Would you mind drawing this book for me? I'm just trying to do something rough, you know, just something not even like as professional. I normally will, like a comic book, print to somebody. I'm like, I'm gonna copy this shit at Kinko's. I just really want to tell the story. <laughs> I need some art to fucking go with it. So yeah. Aisha comes and she knocks it out. She does a phenomenal job. Book looks good. Um, but again, it's Zine and Aisha's young. She had literally just like she was in art school at the time, maybe like her oh, first wow. year. So it's like real rough looking book, but it gets a story out there. So I literally go to like Kinko's, I copy it staple it together myself and everything like that i go back to comic-con i put it on my table and people are vibing with them they're buying it and it's dope and people are like now nah, this is good shit this is important you have any of those copies left <laughs> i do i maybe locked away somewhere maybe locked away exactly it doesn't even look the same way it does now again we'll small and everything and so i put the book out and people are liking it people vibe with it and um i sell it from there i sell it at row city that year I sell it a few different places, and then um, oh. I go back to like I sell it, and then I go back to shows. And um, when people walk by and they say the book, I remember this woman walked by, walked by, and she saw. It, she's like, "Yo, that was important." And I was like, "Oh shit!" Like, damn, thank you. Like, she had bought the book before, awesome. came back a year later, and it still resonated with her. And I was like, you know what? I need to do this book justice. I need to do this story justice, and like put it on a bigger platform. So I sit down, I take the script that I had already done. 
And I'm like, you know, let me polish this bad boy up a little bit. Let me like, you know, panelize it and you know, like make it more like a comic book. And let me add some more story to it and some other things like that. And at the time, the first zine was, again, like I said, it was more of like therapy for me. It was just about me getting out of my trauma. So it wasn't, it doesn't reflect like the comedic stylings I would usually throw into a book, the jokes I would tell and things yeah. like that. And so as I redo it, I go and I like add some stuff in there. I'm like, okay, let me throw some jokes in here. Let me like kind of like make some connections right here. But then I also started thinking about like other people's trauma, what they go through as well, like what women deal with as far as like, you know, the trauma they deal with like, about like walking home at night. And then also like, you know, other people, the LGBTQ community, the shit they go through as well. And so when I do the book, I'm like, let me just try to like, in a way, like touch upon some different things for everybody as well. Yeah. And I find this, um, and so I write the script, get it done. And then I'm looking for this artist, artist to draw the book at the time. I wrote this, this book right here. There's a poster for it, the original cover for the Black Man's Guide right there. Oh, that's it right there. Okay. Yeah. That's the original cover. Oh. It's uh it's the main character sitting in a chair, kind of like UEP Newen. It's the wicker right. chair and everything like that. And then all the police are pointing guns at him and everything. Um, oh, so yeah, cool. so that's 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 it right there. there. That's, that's it right cool. there. Yeah. So Thank that's you. all your stuff right there. These are all my books, yeah. Hey, and um, showing it all. Yeah, you <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah, just, honey playing. That, that's that's inspiration though. That's exactly. Beautiful. Like I looked at when you watch cribs and they go on crib people's houses, they hang up the platinum plaques. I yeah, was like, man. fuck it. I made these books. Like, let me hang these up as a symbol of the shit that I've done. As um, you should, as you should. Thank you. So <laughs> at the time I brought so I'd finished writing this book and I'll be looking for artists. And actually, I just wrote this book right here called Ewoks are better than Hobbits. It's a uh, <laughs> So it's like really fun, really funny. It's all about it's my based upon my theory that when it took the hobbits five years to do, Ewoks get done in five days because they're badasses like that. <laughs> um, oh man, so, you're gonna spark a war, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you should have thought I was just in Rose City right now, and Elijah Wood and um Samwise were there signing, and so there are all these people dressed up as hobbits who are like walking by, and they see the book, and they're like for real. I'm like real not fucking <laughs> but, uh, but they, they loved it though they thought it was funny they still like bought a support too so that was cool but yeah so i'm looking for artists to actually draw ewoks and i found this homie in uh brazil his name's felipe and i look at his artwork and he drew this ewok and i was like yo would you be down to draw this book he's like nah man i'm too busy and blah 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 but i'm looking on felipe's instagram page i see some fan art he had done of atlanta and i've earned i'm like oh shit this looks fucking dope i'm like yo dude like i love your atlanta art. i think it's fucking dope like you don't need to do Ewoks, but would you be interested in doing this book called The Black Mask Guy? He's like, oh. he said, it sounds interesting. He's like, send me the script. And so I send the script. He gets back to me a few days later. He's like, y'all, I'm fucking down. I'm like, for real? Okay. He's like, all right, cool. That's what's up. Okay. And honestly, that makes me excited as a writer because it's like, he didn't do the job because I was paying him. He didn't do the job because I approached him with it. He read the script and was like, nah, this, this resonates with me. This is cool. And I was like, all right, let's go. So Felipe drew it, knocked it out. Um, then we got a colorist to come through and color it and everything like that. Then we came up with a new cover, came with that cover for it and everything like that. And it came together well. And then I go and put the book out. I sell it for the first time, I believe, at Comic-Con of okay. 2019, right before the pandemic. Okay. I go there with that and Ewoks, and they both sell out by Saturday. They don't even make it till Sunday. And I wish I could have passed by your booth. It was so big, and we had, I had so many interviews. I went that year. Oh, for real? Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah, I wish that again. It was this is the show so big, overwhelming. You know, I'm an East Coaster. Uh, that that show is Jesus huge. No, dude, it's <laughs> ridiculous. It takes up like I tell people all the time, like any other comic convention takes up like some halls in the convention center. No, San Diego no. Comic Con takes over the city. 
It's like there's yeah. events inside party. the British Center, at the hotels, on the streets, like everywhere. Yeah, this is it's, party it's time. I loved it. I loved. It. I, I love. I love it though. I mean, you know, even Al Murray got you know, you know, overcharged if you will. <laughs> like, oh man, I'm done. Big time. Those hotel prices be who steep. Um, when I put the book out and it does well, and then at that point, I'm like, okay, this is cool. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. You know, 2020 rolls through. We got the pandemic going, everything like that. And um, at one point, I gave the book away for free during the Black Lives oh, wow. Matter movement because I was just like, look, awesome. if you can, come download the book. Leave whatever. You can download it for free off my Gumroad page. But if you can, just like leave a cash donation. It is going to go to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And so I was just like, leave whatever you want. Just download the book for free. You can leave whatever you want. And what's dope about that is we raised over, I raised over like a thousand dollars just doing that. Oh, wonderful. Yo, awesome. Work. Check you uh, out. Hey. Uh, just, try, just trying to help. Just trying to help. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, so down, so we did I did that. And I was like, you know what? I still want to like get this book out to people because it's cool, but sorry, Mike fell. <laughs> so, <laughs> We're excited, man. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, all right, so I just want to keep getting this book out to people. So that editor I told you about that I met way back when, when I was in Portland, I hit her up and I'm like, yo, I want to do this book, but I'm not sure what to do with it. Like, what should I do? And this one comes like getting your tribe together, building that networking. She's like, oh, I know exactly where to go. Microcosm. They do a bunch of dope books, our woke and all this stuff like that. I'll send an intro and you can talk to them and see what they say. And that helped out right there. So she puts me in touch with Joe and the great people. Michael I love Collins. how she says, though, the books are woke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of what, you know, I hate, I hate the title. It's not woke. It's just shit that happens to us. What's the, what's woke about that? I was reporting the news. It's legit, though. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, it's like you should be awake to this. You should realize what's going on. But mm-hmm. a lot of times you got to wake people up to the stuff, which is like frustrating a lot of times. And that's why I tell people that's part of the reason why I put the book out. It wasn't even, it's like for us who go through it, but it's also for people who don't know. And it's uh, and it's been interesting. Like I've met over the years of me selling the book, I've met parents who actually read the book to their kids to kind of explain to them how racism works. And then I've met like people who have interracial like families and whatnot, like situations where like, you know, white parents have adopted like black children and they're like, they buy that book for them so they can have that conversation so they understand, which is like, shit, like good, good on you. Um, but yeah, so I, I talked to Joe and them over at Microcosm, send the book, they think it's dope. So they go ahead and um and that's how I get my first uh publishing deal. And then we put the book out through them and it dropped uh back in December officially. We changed the cover up from this one to the new one you see. Um that's done by our, this one right here, right? This big yeah. right here, right? Yeah, that's done by my homie Sean. He's a really dope dude. Let me see if I find Sean really quickly on IG. But Sean, I hit Sean up because uh, they wanted to redo the cover, so it just be a little bit something, um, something more like something more that would say yeah. what the story is about. Because while this one pays homage to like UEP Newen, Black Panther Party, not everybody picks up on that vibe immediately, but the new cover whew, does it immediately. Like you look at that, you know exactly what the story is about. No, no, definitely. Because again, like I told you in the green one, I actually experienced that, you know, just a month and a half ago. You know, again pulled over and. You know, it's funny in the book you write about steps, and mm. as I'm reading these steps, I'm like, "Holy shit! Those were the exact things that I did, you know, in preparation for the roll-up." You know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm oh, like, yeah. "Wow!" I, I, and you had me smiling ear to ear, and then you know, you had there's something like, like a Jeopardy thing there. All the excuses now. There oh, were yeah. seven excuses there overall. However, so out of those seven excuses. Out of your eight stops, how many did they use? 
So I got every single, I got a lot of them. Like, so once I was told, so the one that was in the book is that I was hugging the lane. That one's legit. Another one was. How do you hug a lane? That's what the fuck I'm saying. It's like, were we in a relationship? <laughs> was I trying to make a move? Like, what, what, like, how do you hug a lane exactly? Am I supposed to wear a condom? I didn't know. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, so the hugging the lane one was legit. And I got that one. And I got so many of them. And honestly, like, there's so many different stops I've experienced over time that were just frustrated for different reasons. Like, two that stand out to me is once I got pulled over with a friend of mine who was visiting me from New York. He's a white guy. I was driving him back. He came to visit. We get pulled over and the cops like, where the pills at? You got the pills? Where the pills at? You got the pills? We're Wait, like, what the fuck? He, he didn't ask if the white guy was feeling safe or anything. Exactly, exactly. He just assumed that I must be making a drug deal because the white guy's in the car with me. <laughs> like, Are you fucking serious? Um, and then the one that got me the most, Jesus. and again, it just kind of it makes me upset because I didn't follow through on it. Because uh yeah. I got pulled over and I go, I pull into like this parking lot. The cop gets out, walks up to my car, opens the door. And it was like, where's where are the drugs at? And what? I literally just stopped and looked at him because again, he opens the door. I just look at him like, you're not allowed to do that. And he just wow. looked at me, and you guys just slammed the door and then walked away and drove off. Because at that point, I think he realized he fucked up. Yeah, and he just realized I, I knew, that I knew the law. Wow. And, really? So yeah, so and, and that's one of the things that comes down to is that you got to <laughs> know the law because you can't let them get away with this shit when it happens. And yeah. honestly, it's sad too because like the conversation that like those tips that I give, that's what my dad actually told me to do growing up. My dad told me like when you get pulled over by police, like you gotta do this because if you don't, it'll be ass. Like you'll die. And yeah. it's crazy because a lot of people assume that like oh, in 2020 with George Floyd, th this issue's been around. Like no, this issue has existed for fucking hundreds of years. Yeah. Like the police have been used to subjugate us and oppress us. And the problem that is though is that like we've been saying it for years. But the thing about it is, though, people have always assumed it was a joke or it wasn't that bad. And it was until we just got cell phones and cameras and we got to record this shit. Yep. And social media. On a basis. Exactly. That you see it on the screen all the time. You start to realize, like, oh, no, they are doing fucked up shit to people of color. And it's just sad that it's like, you know, it takes us a to realize. I was that in the 90s because I was getting stopped almost every other weekend. I was just telling my mom my experience as a teenager. I didn't tell you to make you nervous. You know, because I, I did, I never got arrested, but I was totally harassed every mm. other weekend by different cops. Me going to work, mind you, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, or, or, or me standing on my own the corner of Mount Hood, wait, waiting for my friend to come down from the block. You know mm. what I mean? We were just chilling, not doing nothing wrong. You know, being slammed against, you know, getting even kicked by cops. You know, it's one bullshit. day because they thought we had a weapon. Like, how, how, how do you mean we have a weapon? And they're like already like abusing us arresting no, half yeah. of them it was you know and we were kids so you know I, this book I, I relate so much because you know that that's an experience that a lot of, of us unfortunately poc go through or yeah. have gone through like i was at home even right prior i reported a stop and frisk because it was very abusive and mm -hmm. again i had nothing on me i had shopping bags full of food for my family and uh again folks report it if you get abused the civilian complaint review board it, you know, if you do it right and you show up when they ask you to show up, you know, it does work. Yeah. It takes community to, to make sure that we correct the wrongs. Exactly. And that's the thing, though, because we have this whole thing about, like, stop snitching. But the thing about this is that, like, when it comes to the cops, no, please do snitch. Please do snitch. <laughs> Tell <laughs> these motherfuckers, like, because you yeah. got to. Because the thing about this, though, is that, like, again, if we don't, it's going to continue. And it's crazy because, like, when I first started doing the book, 
like I started when the book came out it was like 2017 to 18 when I worked the first copy of the black of the black man's guide and back then people used to come up to me and people didn't know we would come up and ask me like but what did you do wrong and that's <laughs> wow. what you would ask me what? And I'm like I didn't do a gosh damn thing <laughs> you're like, like you're not uh, you not reading the book I did nothing you know driving yeah. while while black <laughs> exactly. but what's been what's been cool though in a way it's cool but it's also kind of it's like it's frustrating is that now that I do shows, I don't get that question anymore. What I do get is people tell me their stories and the shit that they've gone through. Yeah, and it's man. sad. And it's just frustrating. It just shows that we all go through it. Like, again, while I was in Portland this past weekend, someone came and told me a story about how, like, he's a really intelligent black man. He actually works in, like, cybersecurity. And what he works on is actual ATM machines. Okay. And he says, can you imagine how many times, um, can you imagine what's happened to me? Uh, how many times have the cops been called on me working on ATM machines? He was like four times. Damn, and, son. And, doing and, his again, job. and he's just doing his job. But he told me one story where he goes, he goes, he's working on this ATM machine, and this woman comes up and she's like, What are you doing? He's like, I'm working on the machine. She's like, No, you're not. Show me your credentials. He's like, What do you mean? Show me your credentials. He's like, Who are you? She's like, I'm with the FBI. Show me your credentials. And so, like, he like takes out his badge where it shows her the badge, you know, cybersecurity, all the stuff like that. Yeah. And she's like, No, you have to hand it to me. He's like, What? I don't have to hand you anything. He's like, Where's your badge at? And she's like, You don't need to see it. And at that point, he was like, no, Woman, get that fuck away from me. And again, this was a Karen and all this kind of wow. stuff like that. So then she like legit starts putting her hands on him, starts trying to restrain this dude. And it's crazy and everything oh. like that. I'm like, Are you serious? And so, luckily, there's a sister who's like behind the way recording this whole interaction Excellent. and she's telling her to get away from him she's grabbing him touching him harassing him everything like that and so this is all the stuff this brother had to go through and like you know it's just sad but this is kind of things that like you know like because of like you know all the things that get put out there in the news and media these stereotypes like everyone feels like you know they look at it as like criminals instead of people and so yeah. like you know it's reinforced like all these negative shit that's out there but that's why we gotta like stand up and fight against it and like when they do these things we have to report it you have to snitch yes. on them you have to put it them works. on social media you have to put them on blast so that way they stop doing this shit and stop being racist yeah and it works folks i i i i'm i'm living proof of it living proof that that complaints were it may take time <laughs> yeah. yeah but it but it works trust you me uh uh I was happy to find out that those cops that did the last uh, stop and frisk on me were, you know, removed from duties. So, you know, that was a win for us. That's what I'm saying. That the system does work, folks. Just, you know, be attentive to the information they send you. Be there when they need you to be there. If you really feel adamant about fighting back, that's all it is. If it was really yeah. wrong, you know what I mean? Yeah. I props to you again. Props to you, Al, for reporting them. Like, props to you. Happy it went through. Happy got them dismissed. Yeah, but again, that's what I'm saying. People fight back. It does work. Not, not homie. What with this fantastic book available now? Yeah. Right. What's the website again? Shout so, out. so you can go to the website johnnyparkercantlose.com. That'll take you on the link to where you can buy the book at, and you can find it there. You can also why find can't it Johnny Parker lose? No. <laughs> <laughs> can't lose. He believes in himself. <laughs> uh, you can also find it on my publisher's website, Microcosm. And then okay. if you throw that cover up one more time for me, the name of the artist who did that cover for me is my homie Sean Atkins. You can find him on Instagram at uh, s atkins twelve o two s atkins twelve o two. Sean's amazing. He's super dope peoples. And if you go on my IG page, you see me. I tap Felipe there as well. As the other people who help work on the book to help bring it to life as well. So uh -huh. yeah. So awesome. again, you can find the book there. And um, I'm working on new stuff as well. I'm actually working on a cookbook that'll be coming out soon. It's uh, a really cookbook. 
Oh, it's you're a, a chef, bro? What, what's going it's on here? It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook. I can't say what the premise is yet, you know, NDAs and whatnot, but it's dope as hell. And oh, trust man. me, it comes from a diverse standpoint as well. And when I drop it, I'll be sure to let you know, Al, so you can check it out. Trust me, it's going to be good. All I already right. got the signing plan because the signing is going to have food samples there on the scene, so Ooh. it's going to be fire. So I'm doing that. I'll put Pusa's involved. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I will spoil, here's the thing, I won't spoil anything, but they will be at some point. I, I won't hey, spoil it, but they will be at some point. But you'll see, though. You'll see. Yeah, man. yeah. I want to see the Johnny Parker version of Pupusa Man and what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that? Uh, Pupusa, Pupusa Man and Flauta Kid. There you go. Now, oh, write this up. Write this up. All right. So one last thing before we go, homie. Talk about, you know, uh, motivation, right? So what would you tell anybody trying to also step into the game right now and create something like you have? Um, I was, if you're trying to be a creator yourself, I would say, honestly, just get out there and create. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a student. And I tell this to my students. I tell this to anybody who comes by my table. I always tell them, you can always make something better, but you can't make something from nothing. So the thing about it is, if you just go ahead and make your first book, your first project, you put it out there, You've already done half the work. You've done the most important part. And then once it's out there, you can go always go and refine it. You can make it better and keep growing from it. But until you make that first thing, you're not going to go anywhere. And you low-key got to do it yourself because no one else can do it for you. Like with Blacklist and Brown Hand, as I mentioned here, like we put out that first issue. It was black and white. The logo was black and brown. We had all these different problems with it. The lettering was messed up. But by you look at that book today, it's in color. We have the lettering fixed. We fixed the logo, the graphic designs. End up coming out with a trade and doing all this other dope stuff. And because I did that book, I got to do this book. And that, hey, book, and that, and book, that book and that book down there. And, and another book that we don't even know about yet. And another book and another book. You exactly. Just, you're just making exactly. it rain, books. Well, just, watch just, out, folks. <laughs> <laughs> just dropping stories everywhere. Hey. But that's the thing, though. But that's the thing, though, is that you just got to make it put yourself out there. And so if you want to tell a story, Invest in it, write the story, draw the story, put it out there, and then trust me, people will receive it. And then you just you'll be able to keep growing from there. You heard folks? Just get it done. Get it done. Keep growing. You got this. All right. So again, I'm gonna show this off one last time. Big follow. <laughs> Big Johnny right here. All right. Mm-hmm. JP the second at Johnny P313 on both IG and Twitter. Mm-hmm. All right. But of course, go visit the website. Johnny Parker can't lose.com because he can't lose. He win, win, win. <laughs> all the time. W's now. all day, y'all. W's all day. <laughs> Wepa, like That's what it is. So I'm your boy, Almega. All right. You know what to do. That also tells you everything that you need to do. But follow Big Homie's website, support the project. You know, I'm going to put up the pretty picture one last time as well. Make sure that you pick up this wonderful book available now. Shout out the website again. You can find me on johnnyparkercan'tlose.com. You can also find them on my publisher's website, Microcosm. We can buy it digitally or order in the mail. You heard, you heard. Get, it, get, get that print that we could get it signed at the next convention mm-hmm. that CAP mm-hmm. will be at, all right? Mm-hmm. So with that, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, for listening. Hasta la próxima. Wepa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 